It is the Monday Morning Quarterback, sponsored by Crest Cadillac and Steinhoffels. I'm Jeff Wagner, joined as always by the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larrabee. Wayne, good morning. All's well that good ends morning. well, huh? <laughs> yes, exactly. doesn't matter how you get there as long as it ends well. Um, our number, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you have any questions for the voice of the Green Bay Packers, he's here to answer them. Wayne, let's talk about the positives first. Um, Aaron Rodgers showing once again why he is, if not the best, one of the very best quarterbacks perhaps ever. Yeah, it really shook off a tough first half for the Packers. They scored just seven points in that first half of play. And uh, Aaron threw a pick six, um, you know, and it didn't look good there. As we headed to the second half, down 21-7. to seven. And Rodgers, again, able to pick this offense up, and, and they've made a couple of adjustments. They couldn't do all the things schematically, Jeff, and they haven't been able to do it this year, that they wanted to, that they have planned, and that they hopefully will be able to do before the season uh, gets too far further along. But they were able to make adjustments, enough of them, to uh, to win the ball game and get back into it offensively. I also think the other adjustments that were key were on defense in that, um, you know, the Bengals were five of seven on third down conversions in the first half, had almost um, around 200 yards of offense or thereabouts. Uh, and, you know, the thing that the Packers are able to do is hold them to three points in the second half, and Cincinnati was 0 for 5 on third down conversions. I thought that was really significant. Wayne Geronimo Allison makes some big plays when he needed to. Yeah, he did. Uh, everybody keeps saying, well, he had a drop. I, I actually forgot he had a drop. <laughs> but uh, he had he made big plays. And, you know, he's a big physical receiver, um, second-year player. He's looked great in camp. And, you know, he had to sit out that first uh, game of the season um, by NFL ruling uh, due to a, a situation that occurred off the, the field. But at any rate, you know, we had seen all summer this kid is really blossoming, and I think he's going to be a force. And, and I think he gives them a bigger receiver a lot of times when he runs out of the uh, uh, slot position. You know, he's a much bigger receiver than you normally have in the slot. Wayne, I thought on the defense, one of the maybe just for the overall game, one of the breakout players had to be Josh Jones. I mean, it seemed to me he was all over the field, no play being bigger than when he stopped the Bengals on what that third and sixth play in their opening drive in overtime. I mean, Josh Jones looks like a player. He is, um, and we've known that. Uh, the thing with Josh Jones, Jeff, and we saw it in the OTAs, and they put him at on the second level of the defense right away at the linebacker spot in in what they call their uh, you know nitro defense. And you know what I saw there in the early goings of the OTAs back in May and in minicamp in June was a kid who. Boy, if you could deploy him uh, at the quarterback from the second level, he's got the kind of speed and uh, you know suddenness to his game, and I, I think that's really been a key. The the only reason he wasn't more of a force earlier um, and through the preseason, I, I mentioned to one of the cornerbacks, one of the coaches in the defensive backfield about you know playing to speed. Um, I didn't think he was playing to his speed in the forty, and and you know the coach made a good point. He said, you know what. We've got too much on his plate. He's not able to play to that speed. But when they kind of uh, when he's kind of learned the defense a little bit more, and they've been able to focus him in on okay, you're going to play on the second level. You're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do this, and and that's when he can really start playing to his speed. I thought he played to his speed big time yesterday, Wayne. In the category of all's well that ends well, at the same time, 
Uh, start of the game, Cincinnati Bengals had not scored a touchdown in their entire two games leading into this. They come into Lambeau Field. They get the ball with the kickoff and pretty much and, and they, they drive the length of the field. A.J. Green kind of lights them up. Is this something to be concerned about? No, no surprise to me. I thought Cincinnati would score three touchdowns in that ball game offensively. They only scored two, thank goodness. Um, they're just too good, Jeff, offensively. They've got people. They've got folks. Um, there's no doubt about that uh, on the offensive side of the football. Andy Dalton's not that bad a quarterback. Matter of fact, yesterday he was real good, 21-27, 212 yards, a couple of touchdowns, no interceptions. He uh, His passer rating was 124.1. Aaron's was 102.6. So, you know, Cincinnati, I knew they were due to score. That's why I hated to see their second game of the season end with them not getting into the end zone because I knew that they were going to bust out. And, you know, I don't know about you. I'm not a betting man, Jeff. I, I kind of, <laughs> this morning I wish I was because, you know what? I, I told people this. I said, you know, that nine-and-a-half-point spread on this game, knowing what the Packers' situation was with their injuries, knowing that Cincinnati was going to break out offensively, I would have put everything I had on that point spread for Cincinnati. And, and not that the Bengals are going to win the game, but cover the spread, and that they did. I would have been a rich man this morning if I were a betting man. <laughs> but you are not, of course. We're I am <laughs> not a betting man. Um, I, Wayne, I, I, as, as I was saying earlier, um, I happened to watch the game in a bar, and if you really want to get a handle on, on the, the voice of the common yeah. man, you watch the game in a bar, and there were many comments and questions that people had that I, they wanted me to address you as we were watching the game. So that's something. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just be warned, my friend. Um, I was going to ask you about the watering hole reaction to that first half. <laughs> oh, I oh yes. I, I, I've got a couple of the questions for you that were coming up there, so we're going to talk about that. If you have any questions or comments for the voice of the Green Bay Packers, 414-799-1620. That's the at Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We're back to continue the Monday Morning Quarterback with Wayne Larravee. It's 842. From the three, first down, Rodgers rolling right, throws right side of the end zone. Jordan's got it. Touchdown! Oh, what a throw by Aaron Rodgers to beat Ray Kirkpatrick. It's 846, Jeff Wagner, Wayne Larravee, the Monday morning quarterback. Wayne, um, that highlight featured Jordy Nelson. He had a heck of a game, too, coming back from an injury. Yeah, he did. Um, and good to see him back on the field, that's for sure. Although, certainly they missed Randall Cobb. But nonetheless, Jordy, uh, six catches and nine targets, 52 yards, but the two touchdowns, very dangerous in the red zone, a favorite target of Aaron Rodgers. Okay. As I told you, I was I, I watched the game at a cocktail lounge, $2 pints of Schlitz, $1.50 uh, pints of, of Bud Light. So everybody had an opinion. One of the, the comments, particularly during the first half, now I'm going to kind of sort of sanitize this and summarize it. But um, <laughs> um, over the last year, uh, Ted Thompson, it's a Ted Thompson question, ha- has let Josh, Sh- Josh Sitton, T.J. Lang, and J.C. Treader leave in free agency. Um, the offensive line, incredibly thin, and now you've got the two tackles who were hurt. Um, it looks like Aaron Rodgers on any given play might be getting killed. Clearly, they've had to change their scheme to provide more blocking. The question is, has Ted Thompson, did he do enough to protect Aaron Rodgers? 
Well, uh, yeah, I think he tried. Uh, Jari Evans signing, and Jari struggled a little bit yesterday, but he was going up against, for my money, uh, one of the top two defensive tackles in the game in Geno Atkins. And whether Geno Atkins makes the play, he usually creates a play for someone else to make. So he's one of the top uh, guys in the business. And uh, that was, Jari, a uh, longtime veteran, I think that was a good free agent signing for the Packers, but had his hands full yesterday. Um, the Packers are not going to pay guards $9 million. They're just not. There are a lot of teams who have that philosophy. They're not going to pay interior linemen that kind of money. So uh, I think, you know, that's a philosophy type of thing. And it's also uh, made the salary cap manageable for Green Bay. They never have to give up a player they would like to keep because of money. They're always far enough under the cap where if they really want the player, they can keep him. Moving forward, if both tackles, Bakhtiari and Bulaga, continue to be either unable to play or, or dinged up, is that going to severely limit this team moving forward? Well, I, you know, it certainly limits what they can do offensively, Jeff, and that you have to keep a tight end in. Uh, you have to bring them in a little tighter. They'd like to split those tight ends off the line. I think part of the reason Martellus Bennett hasn't really gotten on track is because so much of what they've asked him to do is be, you know, pass protection to protect or chip on somebody, that type of thing. And so you're late in getting out into your pattern. Same thing with the running game. Um, you know, the running game hasn't really gotten on track because the Packers have trailed more often than not in their ball games this year. But yes, uh, the loss of the two tackles certainly limits what you can do offensively because you have to uh, focus so much of your attention on protection to take people out of the passing lanes. You can't go five wide very often or, uh, and spread it out like they'd like to. When this really was a tale of two halves, I mean, the, the Packers did not play a very good half. I, I think Aaron Rodgers acknowledged the, the boos that were coming down and, and said, hey, I, I understand, maybe I would have been booing too. But they turned it around in the second half what do you think that was? Was it adjustments? Did the Bengal did, did talent and really rise to the top? What do you think happened in the second half? Um, you know, Jeff, it's really hard for me to speak to that, having just watched the game and called it. Uh, but it seemed to me like the Packers did a little bit better job, I think, defensively in keeping plays in front of them and making some plays, and certainly against the run. I thought they were good against the run all day. Now, the Bengals had 110 yards rushing, but one of those plays was a little swing pass to Joe Mixon that later was ruled a run instead of a pass. Otherwise, I think they did a great job defensively against the run. And I think from a, a coverage standpoint, a little different uh, uh, slant with their safeties. They kept uh, uh, safeties higher, a little higher at times uh, to compensate for A.J. Green and make it a little more difficult for Dalton to hit big plays to him. Offensively, as we talked, you know, they rolled the pocket, they kept people in to protect, and, and they got Aaron Rodgers into a more of a rhythm with a quick passing game. I am always amazed at, at I will say, the little things that, that Rodgers does. I mean, in the second half, you had another one of those situations where they, they caught the Bengals with 12 men on the field, that the Bengals objected to it, but ultimately a decision was upheld. You had in the overtime essentially that free play because he, he lured them off sides. Even though teams know he does that, they still can't stop themselves from jumping off sides or, or keeping 12 <laughs> yeah. guys on the field. Yeah, you know, it's, he's, it's just kind of a, become an art form for Aaron Rodgers in that regard, but uh, he's very sharp, and, um, you know, that's a little thing, but, boy, it does make a difference on occasion and, and allows you to take a shot downfield that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have. Wayne, um, we're, we have a, our, our text line has exploded. Now, obviously, the big story this weekend, too, was, was the, the NFL protests, um, and I'm going to be talking about more about that later on in the show, but, but it seemed to me that the Packers – figured out a way to do it in a unifying fashion. It seemed to me that they came together as a team over the weekend. 
A lot of uh, teams did the interlocked arms and stood, but did the interlocked arms. And I understand there were three Packers who did not stand. They sat for the anthem. Um, but, you know, I, I think that's that was interesting because, you know, to me, it actually looked, um, you know, here a message. They were sending a message, but they were unified and they were respectful. And I think that's really that's what uh, stood out to me about the Packers and the Bengals, by the way, who did uh, very much the same thing. Obviously, injuries played a huge role in this game. You were talking about how the Packers were, were limited. Um, you had the starting tackle that was out. Um, Randall Cobb wasn't able to play. Mike Daniels wasn't able to play. Nick Perry wasn't able to play. The list goes on and on. Um, any idea on the prognosis? Are, are these players going to be back anytime soon? Hello? Did we just lose the connection with Wayne? Tell you what, let's take a very quick break. We'll get Wayne back and we'll continue the Monday morning quarterback in just a moment. It's 852. You're listening to News Radio 620 WTMJ. It's 852. A special moment, a south end zone Lambo leap for the Milwaukee Native. It's 855. This is Jeff Wagner, joined by the voice of the Green Bay Packers, Wayne Larravee. Wayne, um, the Packers managed to pull this off despite missing several key players, and it's only the third game of the year. Uh, left tackle David Bakhtiari, right tackle Brian Blaga, who um, was injured earlier. He went out, didn't come back in the game. You had Randall Cobb that missed the game. Nick Perry missed the game. Mike Daniels missed the game. And you've got another game coming up on Thursday. What, what's the injury report? Any chance some of these players are going to be back? I hope some of them will be back, uh, Jeff. But again, being a short week and that type of thing, maybe those uh, who have been held out for the last couple of games might have a chance of playing. But uh, my guess is that anybody who was dinged up in that game yesterday is going to be hard-pressed to make it for Thursday night. It's just going to be too short a week. You know, Jeff, one of the things, that, and again, I'm sure the watering hole must have been an interesting place at halftime yesterday, and it certainly was an interesting uh, place at Green Bay yesterday. But, you know, and we talk so much about people want to talk no, talk scheme, and, and McCarthy's getting out coached, and Dom Capers is getting out coached, and this, that, and the other thing. I, I want to read from you in the front page sports section, Tom Silverstein, great writer, um, and a colleague, uh, he kind of summed up all this scheme stuff. Yes, Cincinnati got the better of the Packers in the first half. Sure, they did. They were leading 21 to 7, and they had a, a huge advantage in time of possession and yardage, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, here's the deal. And, and Tom writes this quote, It wasn't enough because players determine outcomes, and schemes merely give them a framework with which to express themselves. The Packers overcame all of their offensive failures Sunday because Rodgers, Kendricks, Jordy Nelson, and Geronimo Allison rose above it all. That sums up what happens on a daily basis in the NFL. Hey, listen. Bill Belichick and the New England coaching staff is the best in the business. They outcoach the opposition about 13 times a game. A really good coaching staff might do that seven or eight times a game. They do it almost every week. They don't win every game because you know what? It comes down to players making plays and executing the scheme or the offense or defense. That's what it comes down to. And it's it's you know there's we overrate this stuff about X's and O's and coaches and all this other stuff. It's the players. Do you have the horses and do they make the plays? 
Wayne, um, the Bears come into town. Um, the first two weeks, I, I read the Chicago papers, and a lot of the, the general sentiment was that the Bears were a dumpster fire. Then they turn around and, and they beat the Pittsburgh Steelers yesterday in an overtime game, and the Bears pretty much dominate that, that game. What sort of Bears team is going to show up? Is this going to be another nail-biter for the Packers? I think it'll be a hotly contested game, Jeff. I really do. And the Bears are a better team than what they've shown, especially on defense. I'm really impressed with what they're doing up front defensively in their defensive line and their linebacking core. Now, um, they have some question marks in the secondary a little bit, but also on offense. They don't have a dominant wide receiver. So we're not seeing an A.J. Green or a Julio Jones here. But they've got a little running back, uh, Tyreek Cohen. He's about 5'6". It's hard to find him on the football field among all those big bodies. And I'll tell you what, that they, have some, uh, they can give you some trouble on the ground. Jordan Howard was second in the NFL in rushing a year ago. And now this uh, Glenn kid, uh, the Cohen kid they put out there, and when they split him off the line, he could be a lot of trouble. Sounds great, Wayne. We'll look forward to your call on Thursday night, hopefully another Packer victory. And we'll talk to you after the game on our next Monday morning quarterback. You have a great week. Sounds good, Jeff. Thank you. All right, that is Wayne Larrabee, the voice of the Green Bay Packers. When we come back, our three big things, and we start with, I I think, the story that everybody is talking about. We're going to talk about the president versus the NBA and the NFL. Who is winning? Stick around. It's 8.59. It's 9.08, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WPMJ. Jane, before you go anywhere, let us reiterate the announcement that... Gene and you and I and Doug Russell made at 8.20 this morning. It is back for the third year, our annual holiday radio show, which is going to be performed live downtown Milwaukee, Turner Hall, same place it's been for the last two years, Monday, November 27th at 6.30 p.m. And I know, well, first of all, you you are an actress. I mean, it's just it's amazing. I was just I've been blown away the last two years oh, by your you. on stage talent. But you look forward to that. We all look forward to this we every do. year. It's so much fun. And again, for for those of us who work in a little room and we don't you know actually see people, it's it's so much fun to get actual live reactions and real time reactions from the audience. And as Jean was saying a little bit earlier, you know, once you get that first laugh, I think everybody relaxes a little bit and and then is is open to playing with the crowd a little bit more you know because we don't have that option when we're doing radio radio um but this is a this is a it, it, it's i love it it's a ball what i think is also so cool about this year's production is, is the last two years we've done we, we've done adaptate our our wtmj players adaptation right. of a christmas carol and, and last year was it's a wonderful life and people know how those all turn out this year it is an all new radio play uh called wtmj saves christmas and none of us know we don't get to see the script until we do the table reading which is the week before the performance so we're we're as in the dark as as the as the audience and that kind of that's that's part of the fun actually it is when we when we start doing that uh, that table read through and you find out what you're going to be doing and at living is always encouraged Overacting is always encouraged. <laughs> so I'm way down for that. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing is, is um, I mean, again, this year, I mean, I'm just looking at the press release. I mean, it's going to be featuring Gene Miller and and you and I, and Wayne Larrabee is going to be the voice, the narrator, right. as he's been. So that that's always a, a lot of fun. But one of the other cool things is, at least in years past, we've reached out to figures in the community, um, whether it's politicians or other well-known figures. A lot of our advertisers show up, and that's 
that's always some of those appearances get the biggest laughs. They do, and the biggest rounds of applause. Right. You know, <laughs> because they're instantly recognizable. It's just so much. It's just it. It is a very unique. Uh, one of a kind opportunity and experience, and we always emphasize. And again, these have, these have sold out, and they've sold out very quickly. Um, the tickets it's very affordable. It's it's twenty five dollars, and a portion of the tickets. One of the reasons we do this is we have fun, but secondly, we, we do it because a portion of the the proceeds go to benefit the Kids to Kids Christmas campaign yes. that we do with Capco every year. So it's always a wonderful event in that regard too. Absolutely, we help out some uh, some children who wouldn't be getting some toys normally uh, for the holidays. Season, so we hope you can come. Absolutely, and the tickets go on sale a week. I understand, you know, it was ninety degrees this weekend, and <laughs> it's seventy-five degrees now, and people aren't thinking about this, but it, it does sell out, and it sells out quickly. I mean, I remember I was, the true story: the week before the the event last year, people are calling me up saying, "Jeff, can you get? I want to come. Can you get me these tickets?" And you know, we'll pay for it. I, said, I, I, I can't because there it really is. It's a limited space, and it sells out. Well, and there are fire codes and everything. You can only <laughs> have so big of a crowd in there. It's you know, and and yeah. So don't. Don't wait. If you if you really want to go, please don't wait. Right. Tickets go on sale a week from today, Monday, October second at noon. We'll give you more details um, as, as to how you can buy them. But over the internet through our website, it's going to be the easiest way. But uh, if nothing else, you want to come see Jane Matinair. When we don't know the roles that are playing, but I I have no doubt if WTMJ is saving Christmas. Jane Metnair is going to be an <laughs> integral part of that. I just have no doubt. Some bad accent. Let's hope. <laughs> that works. So we'll continue to keep you updated. But that was our big announcement of the day. The Christmas program is back. All right. We start off today's show like we start off every show. Three big things. Story number one, Donald Trump takes on the NFL and the NBA. I know it is what everybody is talking about. We are going to discuss that is coming up next. Stick around. It's 913. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Packers Hall of Famer Larry McCarron goes one-on-one with head coach Mike McCarthy every week on WTMJ. Larry McCarron along with the Packers head coach Mike McCarthy. Hear the rock and the coach today at 450 on Wisconsin's Afternoon News with John McCure. It's a product of our team has helped us move forward and win games. Sponsored by Lodge Kohler and Inspire Upper Airway Stimulation. We're the home of the Packers since 1929. 620 WTMJ. When I'm out and about, one of the things that people have been asking me over the last several weeks is, you know, I hear you talking about my pillow and, and how you use the my pillow brand pillow. Does it really work? And my answer is yes. I would not fib to you. Since I started sleeping on my pillow, I sleep better. And this neck ache, this chronic neck ache that I had, it it's a lot, lot better. And I attribute it to the support of the my pillow specials. Um, I don't know how they do it, but my pillow keeps its shape all night long. It stays cool all night long. It's 100% machine washable and dryable. And I'm telling you, it helps me, I think, get a better night's sleep. My pillow offers a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee, and they are making it easier for you to sleep on my pillow. Here's the deal. Go to their website. It's mypillow.com. You will see a box that says radio listener special or four-pack pillow special. Click on it. It's going to ask you the promo code. The promo code is my last name, Wagner, W-A-G-N-E-R. Use the promo code and you can get 50% off two MyPillow premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows. You can also call their 800 number. It's 800-953-4163. But whether you do that or go to MyPillow.com, use the promo code Wagner. Get the four-pack of pillows for 50% off. It's 
9.15, Jeff Wagner, 6.20 WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. Boy, a lot of stuff going on on a Monday morning. It's the final week of baseball's regular season, and the Brewers sit just two games out of a playoff spot despite a couple tough losses over the weekend. They'll kick off their final home series of the year tomorrow night when the Reds come to Miller Park. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering will begin our coverage 6.05 tomorrow evening. Two games behind the Colorado Rockies with six to play. It's daunting. It is not necessarily undoable, though. Uh, BD, who's producing the show today and always, you think they got to win out? You think they have to win out? Yeah, you say four out of five. I, th- I think they've got to win five out of six, um, maybe all six. Colorado has all they've, – they've finished their road schedule, so they're playing at home. Colorado has six games left, uh, three against the Miami Marlins, um, who don't have anything to play for, and then three against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who may or may not, arguably the the team with the best record in baseball, who may or may not have something to play for. So who knows? But that's the fun of baseball, and you can hear all the Brewers games here on 620 WTMJ. All right, we start off today's program like we start off every show. Three big things. Uh, Story number one, and I know it's what everybody wants to talk about, Donald Trump takes on the NFL and the NBA, and the leagues fight back. Here's how this all started. President Trump was in Alabama a couple days ago. He was there's a contested U.S. Senate race between uh, again Jeff Sessions, who was a senator from Alabama, resigned to become the Attorney General. So this is a race to fill Sessions' seat. There are two conservatives that are running. One is a conservative supported by Donald Trump, who Donald Trump appointed to the seat. The other is a former state Supreme Court justice who, very, very colorful, extremely right-wing. I mean, really, really far to the right. Trump was in Alabama over the weekend to campaign for his appointee. And it's going to be a very, very tough race. Who knows which way it's going to go? And in, in the speech that President Trump was giving, I think it was scripted. But he, he could have just kind of gone off like he occasionally does. He decided to offer his input and his thoughts about these various NFL protests. And he essentially said, I, I think I, I think they should be fired. I, I'd fire any of these guys that, that kneel. All right, on the heels of that, he then got into it with um, the NBA players. Um, he had, it is traditional for traditional for league champions to get invited to the White House. And um, the Golden State Warriors were supposed to be coming to the White House in February. There were a couple Golden State Warriors, particularly Stephon Curry, who were saying, well, we don't think we're going to go. And then President Trump sends out a tweet saying that, well, Stephen Curry says he doesn't want to go. I'm going to rescind the entire invitation, which then you know got the NBA players involved in this. So you've had this, this ongoing running battle. Yesterday, um, the NFL, or actually on Saturday, issued a statement saying that we, we encourage our players to, um, you know, do what they want to do. Um, and we really don't appreciate President Trump saying what he said. And yesterday you had widespread, you know, examples of, of team unity. Some of the players kneeling, but most of them, for example, standing and, and interlocking arms as a way of, of showing unity. 
um, and in a way of responding to the president. Fans very, very split. Number of fans saying, well, we think, you know, this is a protected activity. We think they're exercising their First Amendment rights, which is not really correct because the First Amendment applies to government not being able to restrict your right of free speech. An employer could say, don't kneel during the national anthem, and I think would be well within their rights. But you had a number of people supporting the fans. You also had a number of people saying, look, I think it's disrespectful not to stand for the national anthem. And more importantly, when I go to a football game, I I don't want politics. I don't want protests. So this remains a hot issue for the NFL. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Was the president wrong to criticize the NFL players, and was he wrong to do it in the fashion that he did it? You know, his response was, if it was me, I'd say that SOB, I'm not sure he used that term, I think I think he might not have said SOB, I'd say to that person, he's fired. Did President Trump overstep his bounds? Did the NFL's response overstep its bounds? Who is winning the battle between the NFL and between Donald Trump? I'll give you my take on this, and we will discuss next. If you are on the line, please hold on. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It's 921. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 923. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now that John McCain says he'll be a no vote on the Senate Republicans' latest attempt to reform the current health care law, what's next for the GOP? If anything, Scafidi and Billstat debate today at 135. All right. This is one of these reactions that I'm sure will probably please none of you. But all right. This is how I look at this. First of all, President Trump making his remarks in Huntsville, Alabama on Friday night. I think the president of the United States should have more important things to do than worry about whether a handful of football players stand or don't stand during the national anthem. And by interjecting himself into it, I think what he did is gave a a protest that was, frankly, on the verge of just kind of, I don't know, filtering out, just kind of uh, going away. Uh, because there, there wasn't a new story to it. I think he gave it new energy. So in that regard, I, I wish he would have stayed out of it. Having said that, though, I mean, I, I do think he's right. At least he's right when he talks about how I, I think at some point in time it is about respect for the flag. And I don't see this, as I've said, this isn't a First Amendment issue. First Amendment says government can't restrict your right to expression. This isn't government restricting it. The question is, you know, should the NFL owners have clamped down on this? And, you know, my guess is this would have gone away had it not been for the president deciding to interject himself in it. So this is one of those situations where while I think he is right I think he was wrong at the same time. Okay, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Rick and Slinger. Rick, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, good morning. What do you think? I got some ideas on this one. Um, I served. I I was in the armored cavalry and mechanized infantry. I find it disrespectful. It's their constitutional right to do what they're doing. There's also in the NFL rule book on page 62 and 63, it's stated that players must be out on the field for the national anthem and they must stand and show their respect to the national anthem and the colors being presented. Yep. 
Yep. So if there's an NFL rule, they the NFL can't overlook it. They they enforce all their other rules. So my idea is, if they if these athletes, overpaid athletes, want to sit down and show disrespect to our military that gave them that freedom, find them because it, it's subject to fine on first violation. Find them their salary for that game. Mm-hmm. Donate it. Donate it to the local VFW and American Legion post. If that player turns around and tries to have their fine overturned by the NFL or takes the NFL to court, we know what kind of character they are. Because they're taking money away from the VFW or the American Legion. Do you think this is going to hurt the NFL moving forward? I do. I do, too. um, At the race, the NASCAR race, there's pictures of all 43 teams out there standing showing their respect to the colors. Yeah, no, thanks. I see. I th- that is why. I, I mean, I think that that that's why I think the NFL is is making a mistake because I, I'm and I'm not saying that the athletes don't have rights to protest, but but they're doing it in the context of their workplace, and that's where I've always thought the distinction is. They want to do it on their own time. That's absolutely fine. But they're on the field, and the reason these protests are getting all this attention is because it, it's coming before the games. If a bunch of, I don't know, whatever team wants to get together on their day off on a Tuesday afternoon and go stand outside City Hall and express their concerns, they have every right to do it. But my issue is doing it during the, the, the game. Now, again, would I have preferred the president to stay out of this, yes, because I think it has just emboldened a lot of people and created this ongoing controversy. But having said that, I, I think there's a vast, silent majority of fans out there who are turned off by these protests. Um, uh, Carl sends me an email. I have just today downgraded my Direct TV package to remove ESPN and any sports package due to the protests and politics that have been displayed. I believe the players have the right to protest, and I have the right to not watch them. I do not want politics in my sport. This is my getaway and enjoyment, and I no longer enjoy watching. I will not be watching any NFL games until this madness stops. Packers included. Sigh. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. Um, you know, I, I, I agree with you on this, but um, the president, I, I don't know, he, knows, he apparently knows what he's doing because his poll numbers are starting to go up. He speaks to the common man, and I think that's what he was trying to do. I mean, I, so do you I, think I he tried to, to do that? Do you think that this was a thought-out thing or just one of these spontaneous things, like some of the tweets? You know, I used to think that the guy is kind of a whack job and kind of goes, I mean, I voted for the guy, but I, I, he kind of goes off on these all these tangents, and right. I, I wish he would be more focused. But, you know, I, maybe there's a method to his madness, because he seems to be hitting the right chords, and I bet this is going to even jack him up a little bit more on his, because the average American, the average person who's watching this agrees with you. We all couldn't go to our workplace and do what they're doing, right. and still get paid. You know, if you know, I, I worked for a law firm and we had certain clients, and we couldn't drink certain beer because our <laughs> clients were right. The other, right, companies. sure, so, sure, and yeah. If we were out there doing that, we could get in trouble. And so these guys are out there; they're getting paid lots of money, and they're doing what they want to do. And we're all just supposed to say, "Oh, you know, they're just great Americans, and they're expressing their rights." But um, I think the president is striking a chord here, and, and I think that people, the average person looking at this says it's right. What he's saying is, is true. Uh, we don't agree with how he does it and right. all of his tweets and everything else, but I think he's doing something right, and, and I don't know if it's by accident or if it's by master plan, but boy, 
I, I, you know, I just read the, his poll numbers are starting to go up. Right. I, I, well, I honestly couldn't tell. I was watching what he said in Huntsville, Alabama, and, and I, I couldn't tell whether it was scripted or whether, again, it was just one of these things that he says. But, I mean, the minute he said it, you knew it was going to be incredibly controversial. So even though the NFL owners are coming together and siding with the players, and even though this protest has now been breathed new life, you, you think ultimately the, the president's going to come out as the winner on this? Well, I think he is, and I think that the NFL is going to ultimately come out to be the loser. Those guys are pretty savvy guys. They know what the public likes or doesn't like. It's no accident. It's not just because they have bad games that their ratings are going down. I think people are tired of it. They don't want to have the the, politici- the politicization right. of, of what was a pastime. We like to go watch a game. You know, right. everybody stands out there. We're all together in this. We all race the you know the national anthem. Then you see these knuckleheads who are out there protesting, and you think. You know what? What are those guys doing in the off season? Are they out building houses for for poor people? Are they donating their money and they you know working right. to, on their days off to teach kids to, to read in, in the inner city and helping out? Or are oh, they in bars in Miami? Miami? Yeah. Okay. No. Thanks for calling. No. I, no. I appreciate. It. Okay. We're going to continue the conversation. I I think the president. My take is I think the president was right in what he was saying. Um, I think. He, he was probably wrong in the way – if I were the president of the United States, I would have stayed out of this particular matter. Um, I don't know if he intended to get involved or whether this was, again, just something that came out spontaneously. But I, I think ultimately this is going to be a problem for the NFL. We continue the conversation next. It's 931. Let's go to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Here's Jane Matinere. Thank you, Jeff. Democratic State Senator Kathleen Vinehouse has launched her run for governor, saying she wants to expand health care coverage, fix the school aid formula, and make tuition free at all of the state's technical and two-year colleges. Vinehout ran unsuccessfully for governor in the 2012 recall and briefly in 2014. The Diocese of Green Bay says a Fox Valley area priest has been cleared of allegations that he sexually abused a minor. Bishop David Rickon announcing over the weekend he got notification from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith at the Vatican that the Reverend Paul Radetzky has been exonerated. Radetzky denied the allegations. Joseph Jakubowski going on trial in federal court today. He's the Janesville man who went on the run for 10 days last spring after allegedly stealing guns and sending an angry manifesto to the White House. The trial is scheduled to last two days. Time for the WTMG Drake and Associates market update at this hour. The Dow is down two at 22,003. It's 935, Jeff Wacker, 620 WTMJ. All right, here's my take on this. I, again, I'm trying to be real clear here. I, I think these NFL protests are, are wrong. I don't think the NFL should have allowed this. There, there's not a First Amendment w- right in the workplace. You know, First Amendment applies to government. You know, your employer has every right to say, hey, what when you're on the clock, you know, you have limits as to what you can do. And I, I think the NFL shouldn't have allowed this, these, these various protests. I think, though, the protests were winding down. I think they had jumped the shark until the president on Friday decides to wade into the middle of this. I don't know if he was doing it on purpose or whether it was just some kind of gratuitous thing. And so now you have new life into this. I personally think the president of the United States should be concerned with with bigger things like what's going on in Korea and all these types of things. So I wish he would have stayed out of it because now he has emboldened the players. Um, The NFL's kind of in the middle of all this. 
this will hurt the NFL short term because, again, they're in the business of providing, you know, athletic entertainment, not in the middle of politics. And now they're right in the middle of politics. But at the same time, if the NFL owners would have done something about this in the first place, it wouldn't have been an issue. 414-799-1620. Let's uh, talk to, let's see, Russ in Delavan. Russ, you're on 620, Russ, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning, Jeff. How are you doing? I'm well, thank you. What do you think about all this? Well, um, thinking about it a lot, but I, I guess my personal feeling is, is I, I, I wish they didn't do it. I wish they weren't protesting, but I also wish they didn't have to. And I think that's part of the thing here too. Is, is you know, it's it's an unfortunate fact that they have to use this stage, but um, I don't think any of us can sit here and, and say that maybe there isn't some reason behind what they're doing and it's legitimate reasons um i think that's hard for some of us to understand sometimes um does this turn you off or or does it is it kind of a non-factor no no i i again what i what i think is i think it's a sad state of affairs that we have to be at this point where where they have to take these steps and again if 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 things were different maybe they wouldn't have to um you know and, and and unfortunately or fortunately, they, they have a stage where they can do that, right or wrong. Um, again, I, I don't necessarily agree. I wish they didn't have to do it. Um, but I can't necessarily say that I blame them for having to. Do you think the NFL stage. should have taken that stage away from them? Because, I mean, the uh, NFL regulates everything. The NFL says you can't you can't dance in the end zone. You can't have stuff on your shoes. I mean, the NFL could have taken the stage away from them, I think. Yeah, they, they could have. But uh, but I guess I don't know what the repercussions of that would have been. I, you know, and, and, and comparing this to the NASCAR thing, I think is. NASCAR is not the NFL. Um, right, you know, we're, right. I mean, NASCAR, there's not the racial makeup you know, you, of the NFL. Yep. There's not. And, you know, if, if your pit crew guy kneels, you know, is he going to get fired? That's not as big of a blow to a NASCAR team as losing a, a you know, a, a wide receiver or a safety or something like that. So I, it's the, to me, that's not even a comparable. Um, I guess I respect what they did. But, uh, I, you know, again, I, and, and moving on to your, your subject, I think big picture. Do I think Donald Trump should have stayed out of it? I absolutely think he should have stayed. Um, right. To me, I think this was nothing but another diversion tactic. He's the master of diversion. Um, and well, I, I, really th- think, I think this I issue really was going that, away. <laughs> I really, I well, mean, it, and it may have been. Yeah. But I, but I also think too that if he wanted to be involved in this, what he could have done is expressed his concern over what was going on and why they were doing it, right. and maybe we in, maybe invited a dozen NFL players to the White House to sit down and talk about it. He, he made no attempt to do that whatsoever, which to me means that he really doesn't care and he doesn't want to listen to it. Yeah, no, thanks, um, so, no, no, thanks for calling. I appreciate it. And that's, I mean, again, that it was the context of where this was brought up. And I, look, everybody has opinions on this. And I understand people are, are talking about it. I guess I just think by the president gratuitously involving himself last Friday night, it, it just it is emboldened the entire thing. And now this is going to be the dominant story. And I'd like him concentrating on health care reform and tax reform and what we're we're going to do about North Korea. That being said, I do think the NFL has a problem, and I think the problem is getting worse because the NFL has now decided to side with, they made it very clear that they're going to side with the protesters, and that's going to hurt the NFL because there is a chunk, there's a pretty good chunk of people who really aren't sympathetic. I mean, I'll just share a couple of texts. We as fans just want those spoiled millionaires to shut up and play um 
the games. Um, yeah, I mean, there's. I think there is that sentiment. Okay, here's another text. I have not watched an NFL game all season. I will not watch any pro game pro games until these um, ingrates get over the fact that we need law in order to be a functioning society. Trump has the right to free speech too. Get over it. Um, yeah, there was another one. Uh, there, there's another one that I had where I, I didn't see this, but apparently the person who sang the national anthem before the Detroit Lions game at the end of the performance, you know, kneeled down as well and put up the raised fist. And the truth is that that is turning off a, a lot of mainstream America. And there's other other people who support it. I get it, but that's not what the NFL wants. Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Dominique in Waukesha, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Morning. What do you think? Well, I, I think the president should stick to his agenda, uh, which is we got problems with North Korea. Uh, we need to tax reform, as you spoke on earlier. Uh, and, 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 and the NFL is a private entity. It's a private company. Uh, let's say we would go and tell Trump to, um, you know, how to construct his business on his guys mm-hmm. there's a bunch of billionaires in this game uh you know that have this game going on so you're going to tell a bunch of billionaires how to run their company which is you know how to instruct their employees to stand uh, he he did this for the injustice Kaepernick did for the injustice he's not doing it to protest against the united states flag and then also donald trump himself said american uh, make america great again America been great for years. That's how he got to be a billionaire. Mm-hmm. So that's something that been overlooked as well. So if America is not great, why don't you leave America? Mm-hmm. Leave the presidency. All the people don't think America great. Just leave it. America's been great for years. All of a sudden, eight years Obama's in the office. Now, America is not great. You think Trump should have stayed out of this? Just let it go. I think Trump should have stayed out of it. We have bigger issues. We got the tax reform. We got the health care. Korea, North Korea. Yep. North Korea. And this is so small. The NFL stuff is so small. The NFL got got not a lot of fans looking at it because of the end zone. Uh, they stopped doing that. They brought that back. And then they have the older uh, female commentators. And that's not bringing a lot to the table for a lot of audience well, to, well, to look at. Do, wait a well. second, Dominic. You are not getting me to go down that route at all. Older female. I, <laughs> I take. I take no older female commentators. That was Dominique. That's not Jeff. I want I get enough trouble talking about politics for goodness sake and President Trump and, and this thing. I, I. I do think this is going to be an issue moving forward. Again, what, what's frustrating to me is I think this thing was going away. I, I really do. I think people had uh, would, would a handful of players continue to protest and do that for a while yes but the interest was waning it was getting to be old it had jumped the shark and now you have like the like the massive protests which will now continue to go on if i was the leader of the free world i would have stayed away from this which isn't to say that i I think maybe you know if your employer says look this is the thing we want to stand and show respect for the flag if you want to do protests you do it on your own time which is to me what the the result always should have have been Let's talk to um, Dave in Waukesha. Dave, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, hi. Hi, Dave. Uh, I think, uh, just like almost everybody else said, that the president's entitled to his opinion. Sometimes I think uh, Trump could, should keep his to himself, but that's another story. <laughs> uh, on that subject of uh, protesting and stuff like that, the NFL's a business, 
and uh, they're always talking about how much of a business it is when players get traded and want big money and so on and so forth. And uh, there's no other businesses in the country where every day before you start work, you have to listen to the national anthem. Yes. I don't think that they should play the national anthem before sporting events. Sporting hmm. events and politics should be kept separate. But but I when did the national but is, but is the national anthem really about politics? Isn't that part of the problem that people are are using the playing of the national anthem to make political statements? Sure, but I don't think that uh, anybody would take that bold of step to stop playing the national anthem. I don't know exactly when they started. The NFL is pretty old. I don't know when they started playing the national anthem before. Goods. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm getting up there, and I, I mean, ever, I mean, I went to my first baseball game when I was like four or five years old, and I'm pretty sure we played the, they played the national anthem there, so it certainly goes back fifty some years. Yeah, sure, I know, I'm old too, and I know they've been doing it for a long time, but I think, uh, I don't think that sports and politics should be mixed, mm-hmm. and that's exactly what's going on. I think they should stop playing the national anthem before sporting events, in particular the NFL, because of the problems that it's causing. I okay, thanks for calling. See, now that's interesting. And I mean, I, I, I agree with you that the, the, the actual game, the sporting thing, that the sporting event, I think, should be divorced from politics. I, I, I agree with that, which isn't to say that players don't have First Amendment rights. And if players want to, again, it's their day off, you want to show up somewhere and you want to make whatever political statement you want to make, I, I think players have the right to do that. Um, I guess my response would be I think sports should be divorced from politics, but that doesn't mean you stop playing the national anthem. It's the people who are protesting that are using their workplace essentially their workplace to inject politics into this because that's where they're getting all their attention. If you had a handful of players that showed out up outside some courthouse um, on their day off on a Tuesday afternoon to express their concerns about something, would it get some coverage? Yes, but it wouldn't get the attention of what you do when you are actually on the field in your uniform. That's why I think the NFL made a mistake early on in not eliminating this practice. Now, was the president wise to start to use this to make a political point? I don't don't know. There's a lot of people who agree with him. There's a lot of people who don't agree with him. But this is now going to be the controversy. To the extent that we wanted this to go away, that's not going to happen. Let's take a quick break. Back with more calls in just a minute. It's 947. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 9.50, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. Big thing number one, Donald Trump versus the NFL. Diane sends me an email. Jeff, setting politics aside, this whole thing breaks my heart. I love going to athletic games and standing and singing the national anthem for this simple reason. I am proud to be an American. I love this country, and every time these athletes kneel, it makes me think they are not happy to live here. They are not proud to be Americans. I am so sad for them and this country. No more football in our house until their respect for this country returns. And, of course, that's the concern, I think, that the NFL has, that people are going to get turned off on this. Mike in Sheboygan sends me a text. I have two pairs of tickets to Packers games in November, and I'm thinking about giving the the tickets away because of the protesting. I go to the games to get away from politics and mainstream media, and now they have interjected themselves into sports. That is the problem the NFL has. That's why I think... They should have stopped this um, during in the off season. You know, implemented some rule. Now, I guess technically, there's not a rule that says they have to stand, but they they could have implemented things. They had the ability to do it. 
at the same time, this thing was going away. The issue was dying down, and now the president has tried to decide to make this a, a cultural battle. Um, and what we have is perhaps a country that's an issue that would have gone away. Now we're more divided than ever by this. 414-799-1620 is the number. Let's talk to Randy in Caledonia. Randy, good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Um, I guess I won't beat up all the statements that have already uh, come. I agree with most of them. I'm tired of uh, sports having politics in it. And uh, I was at the game yesterday. There had to be 10 cameras, 12 cameras on the guys that were protesting. Yeah. And I just, I'm tired of them just uh, blowing that up. It has nothing to do with the game, but. Um, well, of course, that's it. Again, if it's if it if they weren't do, if right if they were just doing that on their own Tuesday afternoon they they show up somewhere it would have gotten a little attention but it wouldn't have had the ten or twelve cameras now that is the story and that's going to be the story for the next week or two or three weeks and it frustrates I think a lot of people. Just uh, last year though, Jerry Jones did address it with his uh, employees. He sent out an email that said, uh, "We are entertainers. This is my stage. If you do not stand." And and uh, respect the flag. It doesn't matter if you're a ticket taker, a beer vendor, starting quarterback, or a coach. Consider yourself terminated on the spot. Yeah, and I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people supported him um, for that, and I stood with Jerry Jones. I mean, thanks for the call. Uh, let's see. Tom and West Bend sends me a text. This is interesting. Peaceful protesting on your own time is one thing. Protesting while on the clock is another, and that's what this is. And, and that's why I hear all these people saying, well, it's the First Amendment right. Nah, no, no, no. You're not restricting their rights to do it on their own time. This is in a workplace. So, I mean, I think the NFL would have the right if it wanted to stop it. Anyhow, the text continues. You and I couldn't protest while at work. The NFL and owners are partly at fault. They're more worried about keeping their players happy and less about um, honor. It's about money and revenue. Well, now the question is going to be, is this going to start affecting, you know, revenue? And, and that's, that is... You know, that's a huge factor. You know, is there going to be a backlash from this? Let's talk to um, Jay in Caledonia. Jay, good morning. You're at 620 WTMJ. Morning, Jeff. Uh, I think the president was dead on. Uh, he's saying what the majority of people uh, are not saying or who believe it. That's why he got elected. Mm-hmm. I think the way the NFL is handling this is disgraceful. Um, you know, they want to enforce rules for having the wrong color shoelaces. Well, enforce this rule. I think the ratings are going to continue to go down, and it's all about the money. If people do not go to the games, if they don't tune in the radio, if they don't buy the apparel, uh, they're going to suffer. Do you think this is – do you think this – now, NFL ratings are down. That That is the reality, but there's a lot of factors. There, there's a lot of – there's been a lot of bad games. They've got the dilution of the product. You know, you've got the Thursday night games. You've got some of the big stars who've been injured, and others like Peyton Manning have retired. You've got uh, the games competing with hurricane coverage. Do you really think these protests are a reason why some fans are turning off the games? Oh, absolutely, 100%. I stopped watching last year because of this, and it's just getting worse and worse. I'm, yeah. I'm hearing more. I was minority last year, not watching it. Now I'm, more and more people are saying, I'm not watching either. I'm, I'm tired of politics and sports being mixed together. I, you know, I, uh, no, I, I, think, I, I think I can't, I have trouble quantifying this because, like I say, there are a bunch of factors that are going in. But I, I do think the NFL owners' poor response leading up to this, this is turning off, uh, again, some people. Now, again, I think the, 
I don't know why the president waded into this, because what he's done is he's thrown fuel on this fire and he's reinvigorated this protest stuff that I think was pretty much starting to fade out. But now it's highlighted in the culture. I do think it is going to be a problem for the NFL moving forward. And now now they have crossed the Rubicon, to use the cliche. Now I don't see them being able to back out. It's 956. This is Jeff Wagner. Okay, we're going to move on. Next segment, uh, second big thing. Well, I'll tell you about that in just a minute. Stick around. It's 955. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Really interesting follow-up. And I get one of our texts says, what would happen if one of the major sponsors, Nike or Budweiser, some big NFL sponsor decided to side with the fans instead of the players and pull their advertising. Now, I don't think that's going to happen because can you imagine the firestorm? Again, if some company said, hey, we just don't want to be involved in, in the politics of this, you, you know that there would be a huge backlash from the left. But wouldn't that be interesting if something like that were to have happened? Um, stay tuned. This story is not, 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 not going away. Coming up next, big thing number two, 72% of the voters in Milwaukee County say no. Chris Abley says, I can't hear you. We'll talk about it. It's 959. It's 1009. This is Jeff Wagner. All right, we've got some breaking news. Anthony Weiner, I won't bury the uh, I, I I won't bury the lead. Anthony Weiner, former New York congressman, former one half of the power couple of New York. He was married to Huma Abedin, who was the Hillary Clinton aide. Um, he's sentenced 21 months in prison. 21 months in prison. I will I will allow the, the jokes to kind of subside because this is when I get called into meetings. But, I mean, Anthony, you want to talk about a, a rise and fall of a politician. He was, if you, if you haven't followed the, the Anthony Weiner story, he was an up-and-coming congressman out of New York. Very, very liberal, very, very aggressive, though. I mean, he really, his political career was rising with, with, a, with a bullet. Um, and in 2011, he was, and of course, it, it, he was also complimented by the fact that he was married to Huma Abedin, who was the, the top aide to Hillary Clinton. So you, you had this, oh, look, this is this public power couple. A lot of people thought um, Weiner w- was going to go on to be a U.S. senator, governor, who knows from there. Um, he was a former congressman from Brooklyn. Um, he, he ended up. He ended up, 2011, having to resign because he was sending pictures of his private parts to people involved in sexting. So he gets involved. He has to resign. He then decides he's going to make a comeback. He was running for the mayor of New York City in 2013. And by the way... If you if you if you want to see one of the best documentaries that I've seen in years, um, it's called Wiener, and it came out. I want to say it came out last year, and he allowed during this campaign for New York mayor. It's part of I, I think the guy's incredible ego. He allowed the cameras to film him as he was running this campaign, um, and and the the whole thing was okay. Yeah, I, I know I really screwed up, but everybody screws up, so give me another chance. And the campaign was starting to gain at least a little bit of momentum. It all ended in 2013 when it turned out he was still sexting under the name of Carlos Danger. He was sexting some woman who, 
I don't know if she was a stripper or an exotic. I mean, she's in the, the movie as well, but he was sexting this woman, and, and that all then comes out. And the movie, the last 30 minutes, it's very, very difficult to watch because you just see the campaign completely and totally disintegrate. He gets like 3 or 4% of, of the vote, and it shows him and his wife having to, like on election day and having to go to the election party. It, it's this incredible downfall um, of a guy. So that's 2013. Well, then then it turns out that, um, and remember, he's the guy that used the name Carlos Danger and all that. Well, it, it turns out that um, in 2016, he apparently starts exchanging messages with, wait for it, a high school student, um, prompting a flurry of provocative responses from Wiener, who knew that the teen was in high school. In February, their exchanges grew more lascivious. Um, By the end of February, Wiener, who knew the girl was only 15, was video chatting with her via Skype and using graphics and obscene language to ask her to display her naked body and touch herself. You know, he, he's still married to the, the Suma Abedin. He was at the time. Um, he also sent her obscene material on self-destructing messaging apps, um, including adult porn. I mean, just honest to goodness. And he knows she's 15. So, I mean, obviously this guy is one really, really sick puppy, and he got 21 months in a federal prison, which he deserves every day of that. But if you just want to talk about somebody who really had the world by the tail and um, just – had more than one opportunity to try to get himself. To, now, obviously, he's a sick guy, but you know, he, he just—I don't know if it's the ego or whatever—that you know refused to allow him to, you know, get obviously the help he needed till he hits rock bottom. Well, he's going to prison for twenty-one months. All right, big story number two. Let's focus on local issues. Chris Abley is out with. Um, his new budget, or he's talking about his new budget. Now, if you will recall, Chris Abley came out a while back and wanted to impose a wheel tax on voters in Milwaukee, on people in Milwaukee County. He wanted to charge you $60 per vehicle for the privilege of having a car registered in Milwaukee County. Um, the common the common council, the, the Milwaukee County Board looked at this and said, we just don't think this is going to happen. There was a referendum, a non-binding referendum. 72% of the voters in Milwaukee County said no to a $60 wheel tax. The county board, though, did impose a $30 wheel tax. So now if you register a car and you live in Milwaukee County, you pay the $75 registration fee that the state requires, you pay an extra $30 for the privilege to register your car in Milwaukee County, and on top of that, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you pay an extra $20. Chris Abley, despite the fact that 72% of the voters said no to the wheel tax, he's back at it again. Apparently, uh, the budget that he is coming out with um, asks again for a $60 wheel tax. 
The budget is actually due by the end of the week, October 1st. Um, it also calls for allowing the Parks Department to have paid parking in different areas around the county. But he's back with the wheel tax saying we need to generate more revenue and $30 is not enough. Our number, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This, to me, is a classic example of the arrogance of the county executive. He proposed a $60 wheel tax. It went down overwhelmingly. 72% of the people voted against it. Nevertheless, the county board still did give him a tax increase. You now have to pay 30 bucks that you didn't have to pay two years ago if you keep your car in Milwaukee County. But Abley isn't happy with that. He wants another $30 on top of the original 30 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me that this should be a complete and total non-starter. The county board implemented a $30 tax. I have issues with that, but that's on the books. Should we double the wheel tax? I say absolutely not. And I think it is incredibly tone deaf of the county executive. And I don't know if it's the arrogance of a rich guy or whatever to continue coming back after the voters last year say no to want the same thing back again. 414-799-1620. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1017. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1019. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. An overtime thriller yesterday at Lambeau. And now a short week with the Bears right around the corner on Thursday night. Here from head coach Mike McCarthy today during Wisconsin's afternoon news at 450. This is big story number two. Uh, Chris Abley. All right. Um, often wrong, never in doubt. He proposed a $60 wheel tax last year. County board said no, but did, did Give Milwaukee County voters and taxpayers a $30 wheel tax. Abley was unhappy with that. The matter went to a non-binding referendum. 72% of the voters say not just no, but heck no. Now Abley's new budget is back. He's back with the $60. 414-799-1620. Mary in Wauwatosa. Mary, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning, Jeff. Thank you so much. I am so glad we're having this conversation. I was in front of the Common Council last Monday at 9 a.m. I hit a major pothole, um, had proof, and I pay $140 registration for one of my vehicles in the city of Milwaukee, and they denied it. They said that the pothole was only reported by one other person, and it was taken care of. When I went back to the pothole, that was not true. And I'm just telling the listeners, you see a pothole, call the city or whoever, because they claim they will not pay any damages because it's not being reported. Thank you Thank so you. much for this subject. Well, you, you bet, Mary. But, but see, of course, here's the thing. Um, in the city of Milwaukee, you pay a what? You pay a twenty dollar wheel tax, I believe. Um, or is twenty or twenty five dollar wheel? You pay um, and that is a twenty dollar wheel tax in the city of Milwaukee. Um, and I thought that was the thing. I thought the reason we were paying the wheel tax 
was because we want to fix the potholes. So stuff like that doesn't happen, Mary. Uh, and, and Milwaukee's been collecting that. Gee, where is the pothole money going that you're paying the wheel tax for? So you, you've got, okay, for the county roads, you've got the county. Now they are charging a $30 wheel tax. And now that's not enough for Abley. He wants $60. Let's put this in perspective. And it might be fine for a guy like Chris Abley, who, uh, again, you know, money is no object. But let's take, let us assume Abley got what he wanted. So if you live in the city of Milwaukee and you register your automobile, if Abley got what he wanted, you'd have to pay the state the $75. You would have to pay the county the $60, so that puts you at 135 bucks, and then you'd have to pay Tom Barrett another 20 bucks. so you're talking about $155 per year per car. You want to talk about regressive, that is a tax that hurts poor people more than it hurts anybody else. Well, that's exactly what Abley would be talking about. And if you live in the city of Milwaukee in particular, you'd really get slammed by this. Let's talk to Jeff in Milwaukee. Jeff, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hello. Uh, I figure this this way. If he can raise it, whatever he wants to, then all the people in Milwaukee can just move right out and Tom Abley can pay it. Uh, well, yeah, Chris, you mean Chris Abley? Yeah, I mean, well, it's, if that's the issue. No, thanks to But I guess here, here's what's so aggravating to me about this whole thing is that you, you have a guy who is so completely and totally tone deaf to what the voters want. Right, we had a, an admittedly a non-binding referendum, but we had a referendum last year. Let us take the will of the county. Let's spend the money. Let's have the referendum. You know, Abley had his chance a year ago to make the case to the people of Milwaukee County why we, and I'm a taxpayer in Milwaukee County, at least for the moment, why we should be paying sixty dollars per car. And again, it's it's per car. For the privilege of, you know, just simply keeping your vehicle in Milwaukee County. He had his chance to make that case. And the voters overwhelmingly said no. All right, they've said no. So here in his budget, a year plus later, he's back asking for the same thing. I mean, I understand why some members on the Clown Car Act that is the county board must feel incredibly frustrated. It's okay. that this We have a county executive who's obviously not serious that he continues to tout this after being rejected. Let's talk to Connie in Bayview. Connie, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi. Hi, Connie. Thank you so much for raising this subject and for taking my call. Sure. My point of view here is, as a resident in the city of Milwaukee, um, a lot of people are simply not going to register their cars because yep. they can't afford it. That and right that, now, you know, Connie, you know, you, I thank you for calling because that there's already a huge problem in Milwaukee exactly. with car with people who don't register their cars in the first place for whatever reason. Yeah, add an extra thirty bucks onto that. And you're just giving your rights. You're giving more people incentive to say, well, what the heck? I'm just not going to bother doing it. That's right. That's and then, what's going to happen. And then, of course, what? Let, let's then play that out. So you have the cars that aren't registered, that are involved in the – if they're not registered, chances are maybe they're not going to be insured. They're involved in those accidents and the collisions. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, it just it's, it, it gets worse and worse and worse. It's a snowball effect. Yeah. You read my mind. No, thanks. No, you're right. And that's that. That's it. And that's why I bring up the idea of the regressive tax. Like I say, for a guy like Chris Abley, 
who has, you know, more family money than than God. Okay, it it, it doesn't matter. Abley can have however many vehicles Abley has, and it's not going to cost. He doesn't care if you pay seventy five and sixty and twenty. So you got one hundred and fifty five bucks. That doesn't matter to Abley. He can register as many cars as he wants. But imagine again that that family that's trying to you know needs one car maybe they need two cars to try to get by because you've got the husband and the wife that works so you've got that whole dynamic that's going on and you're going to say to them particularly if they live in the city of milwaukee you're going to have to pay 155 dollars per car per year to register that vehicle i think there's going to be a great incentive and connie is right for a lot of people who simply say eh, maybe we're not going to take a chance it's 1026 this is jeff wagner 28, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Rocky sends me a text. Well, I'm sure glad I was able to leave the Milwaukee area. That wheel tax is ridiculous, among other things. PJ and Grafton. PJ, good morning. Hi, uh, Jeff. Hi. Um, I'm thinking, you know, you and I pay for our cars and we get the tags and everything else. Well, those license plates are going to be taken off or the tags will be cut out and taped on somebody else's car. And then we end up getting paying it twice in one year instead of once. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, just like the whole idea what, what our last caller, Connie, was talking about, about this incentivizing people to not register their cars, you're, you're exactly right. It is going to be open season on license plates if you increase this because you're going to have more and more people who are going to say, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to steal somebody else's license plate. I'm going to put it on my car, and I'm going to drive around on it because I don't want to have to pay that extra dough. You know that, that it's already going on. You know it's going to get nothing but worse. No, big time. I know. I guess, and the the bottom line of all this is, what part of no don't you understand? I mean, I I just go back to the fact that we had a referendum, admittedly a non-binding referendum, but we had a referendum. Chris Abley had his opportunity, and this was one of the signature pieces. I mean, he really drew a line in the sand. He had the chance to go to the voters of Milwaukee County and make the case for why a $60 wheel tax needed to be implemented. All right, the voters in Milwaukee County, overwhelmingly, 72% of the voters said, sorry, Chris, we're not into this idea. And now, a year later, he's back with it again. Again, this demonstrates the arrogance that you get sometimes from elected officials. What part of no don't you get? All right. That leads us into big story number three: Is the GOP health care reform dead? We'll discuss. And I'm Jane. Ma- I'm Jane Matinere. I'm Jeff Wagner. Speaking of Whitefish Bay, my favorite story of the weekend. Yes. North Shore Fire and Rescue helps man get out of a garbage chute in Whitefish Bay. Um, twice. <laughs> <laughs> okay, here's the story. Um, o to be, this is the way the Journal Sentinel reports. O to be 19 years old and deciding to ride down an apartment building garbage chute. Now, let me just stop right there. Jane. Yes, Jeff. Okay, we, we, you and I, it's been a while since we've been 19. But even at the age of 19, would it have occurred to you in an apartment building to decide to see if you could slide down the garbage chute? Had I been smaller? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I don't know if it's smaller. I'm not sure there's enough beer in the world to get me that drunk. But, okay, so here's the story. Okay, so apparently the guy did it twice. On Friday, the 19-year-old guy successfully entered the chute and made the journey from the fifth floor to the basement of his apartment building in the 400 block of East Beaumont in Whitefish Bay. Five floors. I Whee! mean, <laughs> 
five floors straight down into the garbage chute. All right. So then, so he does it successfully on Friday. Ah, this is great. So he decides, it's kind of like going to Splash Mountain at Disney World. You ride it again, you know. He decides he's going to do it again. So on Saturday, he climbs into the garbage chute. But apparently what (laughs) what happens is he gets stuck between the second and third floors. All right. So now you want to talk about a, a situation. You're, you're riding down the garbage chute in your apartment building, and you're stuck in the garbage chute. What do you do? <laughs> he Help. He didn't help. take his phone? Well, I... I, I, I'm, I, I sho- I'm shocked that he didn't take it just to videotape Well, he might thing. not have been able to get at... Who knows? You know, like That's the phones... Your, I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> I, I'm not sure how much thought goes into it. If you're, if you're, if you're going to get into the fifth floor of your building and try to slide down the garbage chute, how much advanced planning do you do? Well, there, there's that. But I, I, I'm surprised he didn't have like someone, a group there to witness it, because if it's not on video and it's not on Instagram, I don't think it actually happened. The guy got caught between the second and third floors, and apparently he's stuck there. Um, help me, help me, <laughs> Frank, help you hear me. Something? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly. Sounds like there's somebody in the wall. Right. So apparently after about 15 minutes, help me, help me, <laughs> a neighbor calls 911. There's a voice in the wall. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so the, <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. All right. So then North Shore Fire and Rescue. I, I'm sure this is kind of the way. This guy's sitting around the firehouse. This is what they want. Oh, it, it's not somebody that's fallen. It, there's a guy. I think there's a man in the wall. So North Shore Fire and Rescue comes to the scene. Emer- <laughs> emergency personnel finds the guy sandwiched in a V shape. Ooh. Yeah. Like a pike. You know, like a I, pike, I, pike I, position for diving or something. I I guess. I, I don't know. But, I mean... <laughs> Do you go down feet first or you go down face first? Uh, not, who knows? Not, face. not having done this, but I would I would just hazard a guess to go feet first would probably be better. You would well if you're going if you're going to climb and if you're going to slide down a garbage chute, yes, you're going feet, go first, feet first. Right. Um, using webbing, the man was secured and oh, he went down head first. He did. Using, uh, this is the way the story is written. Using webbing, the man was secured and pulled up to the third floor and taken out of the chute feet first. So, I mean, it sounds like they pulled him up. Feet, that sounds like the moron went down head first. Wow. Is that a, <laughs> is that a surprise? Is that a surprise? <laughs> yes. I, um, the man had no injuries and declined to be taken to a hospital. <laughs> I, I tell you. I tell you, everybody in Whitefish Bay must be just popping their buttons that this is going to be the guy that this is the story that comes out of Whitefish Bay. You know, we have a laundry chute at our house. <laughs> if I'm not here tomorrow, have him check. Um, okay, I I have a laundry chute at my house too, and it's only two stories. Let's but try, let's try. Let's, no. let's, well, we need to find. Uh, no, no, probably <laughs> just, not. No. Just well, then I'm thinking. Okay, you're going down head first. What are you going to land? In? I mean, there's going to be a giant. Garbage pile. Garbage pile. And you hope that the trash people haven't taken it out or else you're going to be landing on a concrete floor. Huh. wonder if alcohol was involved. I'm sorry. I, I digress. You happened to mention Whitefish Bay, and this was, this is my favorite Whitefish Bay story of the day. It's kind of like, okay, stupid people all over. Do not – look, I, 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 this is just some free advice, legal advice from a recovering lawyer here. If, if you think that you want to slide headfirst – down your the garbage chute in your apartment building, my advice would be no, 
nothing good is going to come of it. All right, big story number three is coming up. Can the GOP's health care plan be saved? We will discuss. Stick around. It's 1040, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Should the terms freshman or upperclassman be considered offensive? One high-profile university is axing those words from the campus. Do you agree with their decision, or is this a step too far? Join the discussion with Scafidi and Bill Stett at 2.35 this afternoon. It was like the story we had last week about the grade school teacher who sends a a note home with the kids telling their parents, um, we're going to use gender-neutral program pronouns in my class. I, I don't want you referring to me as Miss, Ms., or Mrs. I want you to call me Mix, M-X. <sighs> At some point in time, you just kind of wonder. All right, big story number three, and this is a huge story. Uh, there is an ongoing effort to try to revive GOP efforts to repeal Obamacare. Why it needs to get done this week is because, without going too deep into the political weeds, um, typically if you would try to do a repeal of Obamacare in the U.S. Senate, you would need 60 votes to do it. You need 60 votes to get past the filibuster. Well, if you do it because there's all sorts of financial uh, effects and there's money involved with Obamacare, if you do it as part of the budget process, you can. it's something called reconciliation. You don't need 60 votes. You only need um, 50 plus the vice president or, or whatever. But the, the time frame for reconciliation runs out at the end of this week. So that's why there is this last-ditch attempt to revive the GOP efforts to repeal Obamacare. Interestingly, um, our very own Senator Ron Johnson ha- has been very, very involved in this. Now, the bill, it, it bears the name of, of Bill Cassidy, who's a Republican from Louisiana, and Lindsey Graham from South Carolina. But, but Ron Johnson has been very instrumental in this as well. The, the long and short of this bill is that it does away with large portions of Obamacare. And what it does is it takes the money that we are currently spending on the federal level and it largely gives the money to the states to allow the states to handle their own health care issues. Now, there are some big losers in this, and those would be the states that back in Obamacare decided to take all this, quote-unquote, free federal money and expand their uh, Medicaid programs. Those states would lose some of that money, which was always what the warning was, be careful you take this, because what happens if the federal government uh, cuts off the spigot? At the same time, though, by giving the power to the states instead of the federal government, you have the chance to significantly improve health care. I have made this argument before. I think in the state of Wisconsin, we were significantly better off before Obamacare. Most people don't get their insurance through private insurers. You get it through your employer, or if you're over 65, you get it on Medicare. So for the people who were in the private insurance market in Wisconsin, before Obamacare, 
you had multiple choices. There were all these different companies that did business, and you could call up your own insurance agent, and you could say, hey, this is, I I need to get health insurance. This is what I want. Um, This is what I don't want. These are how many networks I want. These are the doctors I want to see. This is the type of coverage I want. I don't need all this stuff. But before Obamacare, you, you had a wider range of choices that you had, so you really could keep your doctor if you want to keep your doctor and you could keep your insurance if you wanted to keep your insurance what with obamacare what has happened is insurers have been driven out of the private market so now in wisconsin there are many counties where you you only have one insurer you know, you, you don't have a choice between a variety of insurers that offer you different networks. You know, you, you've got one insurer. As a general rule, the costs have gone up dramatically, and the choices have gone down. Well, you might say, okay, Jeff, what about pre-existing conditions and things like that? Well, in Wisconsin, prior to Obamacare, you had different you had different pools that were out there for low-income people, and you had um, coverage for pre-existing conditions you know if you now you had to pay a little bit extra for it but as a general rule in many cases you're still paying lower premiums than people are under obamacare you had badger care for low-income people who needed coverage and you had a couple other programs as well i and again i'm being parochial here but i firmly believe if you did something like ron johnson is talking about doing and some of these other senators are if you did something like this we in wisconsin being parochial would be so much better off than we are now and if you're in the obamacare networks i mean if you're in the insurance exchanges your choices would be a lot lot greater now, it's unclear as to whether or not there's going to be any traction here. John McCain, who says he wants to reform things, John McCain came out and said no, that he wasn't going to vote for this. Now, this is the same John McCain who over the, who I consider to be American, an American hero. But over the weekend came out, and he's still clearly stinging from being insulted by Donald Trump during the campaign. And I just I, I kind of wonder... How much of his, I'm going to vote no, I'm going to vote no, I'm going to vote no, is based on, well, principle, and how much is based on the fact that he just, he doesn't like Trump, he doesn't want to see stuff get done. But in any event, he says he's going to vote no, which means the Republicans can only lose one other senator. Rand Paul has already said he's going to vote no. President Trump thinks Rand Paul might reconsider. You've got the senators from Maine and from Alaska who voted, said they would vote no last time. But under this new proposal, Maine and Alaska would apparently do a lot better. Again, it's kind of like the legislative process is sort of like watching sausage being made. But something's got to be done with Obamacare. It really, really, really does. And if it's not going to be this, I don't think there's going to be any meaningful reform for years. And for people who are stuck on these exchanges... Don't you think the state could do better? And don't you think that maybe most people were better off in Wisconsin six years ago than they are now? 414-799-1620. We discuss when we come back. 1047 Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. The answer is I I think we, we do. We would be better off if you get your insurance through the private market. I believe you would be much, much better off if you live in Wisconsin if this bill passes than you are now. It's 1047.
It's 1050, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Actually, I, I find this idea intriguing. Getting, getting health care out of the hands of the federal government and, and giving the authority of this to the state government. We in Wisconsin did, I think, a really good job prior to Obamacare. And I think for the vast majority of people who are in the insurance exchanges, um, if, if you compare where you are now to where you were six years ago, you're much worse off. You're paying higher premiums. You've got less options that are available. In some case, you, you, you've got only got one insurer that's there. Um, we in Wisconsin, I think, did a pretty good job of handling the whole question of pre-existing conditions um, because we had the high-risk insurance pools. And I, I think, in general, that was probably as affordable as what we have now, plus you had different choices. 414-799-1620. David in Libertyville. David, you're on 620 WTMJ. Uh, good morning, Jeff. Hi. Um, unfortunately, you know what? This is the way I see what's what's happening. Uh, unfortunately, the Democrats have been pushing for socialized medicine for about a hundred years now, roughly. Right. And they're going to, if this fails, there's no question that the next step is going to be single payer. Right. A lot of people. Matter of fact, uh, several of the people who are thinking about running for president in 2020 they're already out there the elizabeth warrens of the world they're already out there talking about single payer our very own tammy baldwin she's signed on to this early she's all in medicare for all yep and 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 the problem is this and people don't realize this um and you know if you go to great britain i mean they just had a huge strike there where the doctors actually left the emergency rooms because in Great Britain, junior doctors over there, they start off to pay roughly around thirty-three, thirty-two thousand. They don't get paid big bucks until they put in at least like ten years. Right. So eventually, you know, what's going to happen is we're going to have more rationing. Yep. We're going to have, uh, you know, where doctors are retiring early because they already don't they don't get paid very well if it's just a Medicare or a Medicaid patient. They they actually have to eat the cost, and then that cost gets passed on to us in the private sector. And so, you know, they, they promised us one thing, oh, you know, and like you said earlier with what the President Obama said, and now look what's happened. So now we're going to be doubling down right. on the fact that we're going to have a federal federalized uh, government uh, health care plan. Which well, is- exactly. And, and again, thanks for that. I mean, I just think, I think for most people, now maybe – Maybe there's some people who are under the old system and, and thought it was a lot better. But I, I just – I think in Wisconsin – matter of fact, I think Wisconsin could be a statewide model for the rest of the country to look at. Mary in Oak Creek. Mary, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi. Hi, Mary. Just, what you just said I agree with 100% because we've done it before. Um, I was in the Hearst program. Okay, and the Hearst program was the, the th- that was the equivalent of Badger Care. Badger Care was for the low income folks. You you were in in the uh, the Hearst program that provided insurance in the private marketplace. But we weren't. But we weren't in the low income program. Right. We were in the program for people whose employers didn't offer right. insurance or had a pre existing condition and right. couldn't get insurance on our own. Right. So. When we were on that, I got breast cancer. Mm. And so I know how they paid, how it was to deal with them. They worked it through one of the major insurance companies. I don't want to say who it is, but 
they worked through one of the major insurance companies. I had the best care that you could imagine. I had a nurse that called me once a month to make sure that everything was going okay. I mean, this went really, really mm-hmm. well. I had a, a reasonable payment for the um, insurance, and then I had I had a high deductible. Sure, but uh, it was it went very smooth, and it would definitely be a much better alternative. I was, in fact, really upset when Hearst right. left the market. Right. For me, what happened is I went on to um, social, social Security Disability and Medicare. Right. So it wasn't a problem for me. Right. It was more of a problem for my husband, who had to go on to the exchange. Right. And so, which which also wasn't so bad, but we'll just leave that alone because that's not going to happen. Um, but it, Wisconsin knew what they were doing, and Wisconsin would know what they are doing if they're going to do it again. They could just pick up right where they left off. Yeah, I mean, th- th- and I guess that's that's my point, Mary. I just think for for the vast majority of people, when you look at costs, when you look at options, you you were better off, <laughs> you know. And I guess that's we my had choices. Yeah. We yeah. Had we didn't have choices of insurances. We had choices of well, actually, we kind of did. You could you could do a plan with a health savings account. Yep. You could do a plan um, with a you you could get it where you'd have a low deductible, but right. you'd pay higher premiums. Month. Right. You you had a variety of choices. No, thanks to call. I appreciate it. You, you had you had the variety of choices that that most people would expect that you now no longer have. Now, you got to trust the states to be able to do it. But, I mean, my only evidence is Wisconsin, I think, did it very well. It's 1056. It's 1109. This is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. All right. There is a lesson to this story, and that is do not run from the police. I don't want to hear hand-wringing about this. I mean, here's the story. Apparently, um, what happened was uh, Sunday night, a driver pulled... So this is last night. A driver was pulled over about 11.45 p.m. Sunday um, in Waukesha County. Um, What happened is they pull over the driver. Deputy gets out of the car and starts goes up to the side of the car and starts, again, you know, I assume it's the standard stuff. Can, can we see your driver's license? Can I have your registration? Do you know why I pulled you over, etc.? What apparently happens is the, the driver then just floors it. So the deputy's out of, I don't know if it's him or her, deputy's out of their car. The driver takes off. The deputy then gets back into their car and starts pursuing the driver. The driver crashes near Blue Mound and Calhoun Roads, you know, in Brookfield. So you're talking about a very busy area. This is 11.45 last night. In this particular case, uh, there's nobody in the car. The driver is killed in the crash. Now, they're going to be releasing more details today. It is unfortunate that this happened. It is unfortunate that someone lost their life. But life. But I, I don't want to hear any hand-wringing about this because the reason this traffic stop turned into a fatality was because the person that was stopped, for whatever reason, decided to run from the police. I Maybe as they release more information, 
they'll explain why the person ran from the police, but they decided to floor it and take off. And in this particular situation, the driver ends up dead. Now, some people might say, well, this just shows why we shouldn't have police chasing people. Well, no, it it shows that people should not run from the police because bad things are going to happen. Once more details get released later on today, maybe we will revisit this on tomorrow's program. All right. um, This it's it's getting it's getting worse. But but is it last week? President Trump goes to the United Nations and gives the speech. He talks about what he means when he says America first. He calls out rogue nations like North Korea. And he says, you know, if North Korea engages in, if they attack us, we're essentially going to destroy North Korea. Then you've got some of the bedwetters and the hand ringers are saying, oh, he's threatening war crimes. Well, he, he wasn't doing that. But he was clearly talking tough about North Korea. He was trying, I think, in his own fashion, to try to, uh, again, force the United Nations to recognize that you've got a rogue nation that is getting closer and closer and closer to having nuclear capability. For years and years, we have tried to negotiate with North Korea, but North Korea is a backward country. Think the Flintstones, run by a crazy rogue dictator. And we've tried appeasement, and it's, it's not just Barack Obama. George Bush was involved, I think, in appeasement as well. It hasn't worked. And so now you have this rogue dictator who is, again, they're shooting off ballistic missiles over the island of Japan. He is threatening to engage in above-ground hydrogen bomb tests over the Pacific Ocean. There has not been a hydrogen bomb test um, above the surface of the Earth for decades. Now, North Korea has tried, I believe, five or six hydrogen bomb tests, but they've all been underground. But the dictator is now threatening um, that that he's going to do this uh, again over 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 the ground, um, which is of course ratcheting up the entire thing. Um, what the U.S. did over the weekend is that they flew jets over the waters east of North Korea. They weren't in North Korean territory, but they flew jets over the waters east of North Korea, um, again, conducting military exercises as, as an if and an F should say, hey, look, if you do provocative stuff, we are going to respond. Well, what happened was North Korea, in response, issued on Sunday a, a video I'm I'm looking at the video. I was going to make it available to text, but eh, it's not worth the effort. Um, they released a, a video, um, the 90-second video. It it shows images, first of all, mocking President Trump, and then it flashes to a submarine. It's a it's a made-up video. A, a flashes to a submarine-launched missile striking the USS. Carl Vincent. That's an aircraft carrier. The video then shows the aircraft carrier exploding and disintegrating into pieces. Meanwhile, words flash across the screen warning America against even considering any military action. Should F-35, B-1Bs, or the Carl Vincent lead the U.S. attack, they will head to the grave in that order. Another clip shows a medium-range ballistic missile shooting down a B-1B bomber 
and an F-35 fighter jet engulfing both in computer-generated fire. Those uh, are the bombers that are stationed in Guam, and the um, F-15s are the escorts that fly out of Okinawa. Um, All right. 414-799-1620. Today, the North Korea foreign minister said that North Korea has the right to shoot down U.S. bombers in its airspace, and the Trump statements were a declaration of war against the country. Um, So North Korea now says all our options are on the table, and um, if you have any jets that are in our airspace, we are going to, or at least they're threatening, to shoot them down. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Obviously, going to war with North Korea is a war that nobody in this country should want. We all need to hope that cooler heads prevail. But at the same time, should North Korea try to shoot down a U.S. aircraft? Should North Korea conduct a hydrogen bomb test over the Pacific Ocean? Should North Korea continue to fire ballistic missiles over the island of Japan? Do we really have any option other than to do the best we can not to drop an atomic bomb, nobody's arguing that, but to destroy North Korea's military capability? I mean, it's a very, very dangerous game, but can we continue to simply try to appease? Obviously, you want to exhaust every diplomatic effort, but if North Korea starts launching rockets at U.S. planes, are we going to have any choice but to retaliate? Now, I'm not saying I think North Korea is necessarily going to do that because I think the dictator recognizes that that would essentially be a suicide mission. But do we have to be prepared to do something militarily should this continue to spiral out of control? 414-799-1620. My answer is we've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared because who knows what this guy is going to do next. We discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1117. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. He's the all-time leading scorer in Packers history, and his right foot booted the green and gold to victory yesterday. Mason Crosby joins Greg Matzik and Jeff Falconio for Miller Lights Packers Playbook. That is tonight at 6.15. It is live from Z's Sports Pub in Brown Deer. Okay, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line. The North Korea situation, it's not dying down. Over the weekend, uh, North Korea put out this video, it's computer-generated, showing them destroying U.S. fighter planes and bombers and blowing up uh, the USS, the, an air, U.S. aircraft carrier. Today, the North Korean prime foreign minister says, hey, we consider um, that North Korea has, that U.S. has declared war on us, and if there's any uh, U.S. planes that come into our space, we're going to blow them out of the air. All right, now hopefully this doesn't happen, but if they do shoot down one of our planes, where do we go from here? Okay, Dan sends me a text. Being a bully has always worked for Kim. It worked with the last three presidents. He is growing increasingly desperate, trying to intimidate Trump. I don't think it would work, and Kim needs to find a graceful way of declaring victory and backing off. 
All right, uh, Ron text. Why the U.S. Um, keeps within our airspace in the world if we provide this if we provide this guy an excuse, all you know what will break loose. But if he fires a weapon at us, then we must respond. Let's talk to Charlie in Milwaukee. Charlie, good morning. Hi, thanks for my call. Sure. I was um, um, remembering all the way from back in Clinton the reason for keeping North Korea from having a nuclear weapon is that if they have it, they'll do one of two things. Either they're going to hold us um, hostage and say we have to give them money for them not to use it, or they're going to sell it to someone who actually does use it. Right. Or the third option is they're going to blow up South Korea. <laughs> that's the th- I'm not big funny, but that's the third option. It's there. That's yeah. the third option. and the, the, So we need to not let them develop the nuclear weapon. We have to stop them from doing it, and there's only one thing. Tyrants like him understand, and that is, um, and that is force. And unfortunately, he we've tried everything else. It's time that we at least address the fact that we will do whatever it takes to stop him from developing the nuclear weapons. That's the issue. Well, you know, and, and one of the things is, I mean, everybody says, well, you know, you should negotiate, you should negotiate. And I, I mean, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, you, you'd like to see diplomatic measures work out. But the problem is we've been trying that for years and years. And, and not only isn't it working, but it, it's not working and it's getting worse. And now I think they're closer to nuclear capability than we ever thought they'd be. Taking advantages of, he's been t- we've been taking advantage of over the last 30 years. And that's the whole point. And that's why... The presidents before Trump were made fools of, and they think they're going to be able to do it again. That's why we need to stop them from continuing. Right now, and thank. And now, see, I here's what I hope is going to be the case because I do agree with one of our, our texters who said, you know, you, you want to find a way for this guy to save face because I mean, the only way he stays in power and avoids, for example, the military coup, is if if he has this, this braggadocia and people are afraid of him or whatever. So, I mean, I, I, I don't care. If, there is, if, it accom- if by giving him a graceful way out accomplishes the fact that the, the, nuclear, the efforts to develop a nuclear bomb go away, I, I don't have a problem with giving people a graceful way out. That's where, I mean, China really does have to get involved in this situation. I mean, that's why if you're going to have diplomatic pressure, I mean, again, I, I'm not being flip when I talk about North Korea being the Stone Age, but it is. Think the Flintstones. I mean, that's that's what you've got going on. What you need, they're, they're really, Russia's a bit of a player, but it's really China that's the North Korean principal trade partner. If China would simply say, look, it is not in our interest to have a, a conflict break out over North Korea and over this crazy dictator, what you need, what China could do is China could use the economic pressure. If China cuts off the oil to North Korea, that that either you either make the dictator back down, or I think that's creating a situation where maybe you're leading to a coup or something like that. But you need China to get on board and say, okay, this is a serious situation that's not going to go away. And if they're talking about shooting down U.S. planes or they're talking about, again, continuing to send ballistic missiles over the island of Japan or all, and Japan is a, I'm, I'm describing it as an island. Of course, Japan's an individual sovereign state. Um, it's a country. Or 
you're talking about, for the love of God, setting off a hydrogen bomb over the Pacific Ocean. You cannot allow that type of stuff to happen. So maybe this is just all saber-rattling. If it's saber-rattling, that's fine. But I do think the U.S. has to be prepared to back up its words with actions. It's 1126. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1128, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Now that John McCain says he'll be a no vote on the Senate Republicans' latest attempts to reform the current health care law, what's next for the GOP? If anything, Scafidi and Billstadt will debate today at 135. Hey, let me give you an update on something that uh, I have been following closely, I know has been in the news quite a bit. Tomorrow... Uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit has a, a rare situation. It's called an en banc review. What typically happens is when there is an appeal, the appeal is heard by a three-judge panel of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals. And the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals hears all the appeals from federal courts in Wisconsin and Indiana and Illinois. Brandon Dassey, of course, one of the, the featured players in Making of a Murderer, the Netflix thing, he filed a writ of habeas corpus saying that his Wisconsin conviction was un- invalid because his con- his confession was coerced. A-, a magistrate judge in Milwaukee bought into that argument and ordered Dassey either released or retried. The state appealed it. It was heard by a three-judge panel who split but voted two to one to say, yes, the confession was coerced. Um, that case is going to be re-argued tomorrow in front of the full Seventh Circuit. That does not happen very often. My entire legal career, I had one rehearing en banc. It's a very rare thing, and it generally indicates that at least a certain number of the active judges were uncomfortable with the decision of the panel. And the decision of the panel was to, again, say that Dassey was entitled to either be released or to have a new trial. So tomorrow, all the judges are going to hear the argument. You could go broke trying to figure out, you know, what any court is going to do. I personally believe the decision to order a new trial or to order him released is wrong as a matter of law. I think... The fact that the entire Seventh Circuit agreed to hear the case indicates that a majority of those judges don't think it's right either. One way or the other, though, this case is probably going to end up going to the Supreme Court. But it's a big step tomorrow down in Chicago. The entire Court of Appeals will hear the Brendan Dassey argument. It's 1135, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's the final week of baseball's regular season, and the Brewers sit just two games out of a playoff spot with six games left to play. They'll kick off their final home series of the year tomorrow night when the Reds come to Miller Park. Bob Euchre and Jeff Levering will begin our coverage at 6.05 tomorrow. Yeah, they're chasing the Colorado Rockies. Um, the Colorado Rockies are at home for their remaining six games. They play three games against the Miami Marlins, who have nothing to play for, but they can hit. And then they finish up um, at home with three games against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who probably will end up with the best record in baseball. The Dodgers may or may not have anything to play for, but that's the Rockies' final six games. They are at home, and the Rockies are a better team at home than on the road. The Brewers play three games against the Cincinnati Reds, and then they go onto the road next weekend to play three games against the St. Louis Cardinals. 
I think realistically to tie the Rockies, I think they got to win five. They probably have to win all six games. I, I think I don't. I, I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong. I don't see the Rockies. I don't see them going doing worse than losing four than than losing two of the remaining six games. Uh, and of course, if they win five out of six, well, then they're going to be the second wild card team. Um, and, but at, at the same time, this has been a wonderful season for the Brewers. It, it would be great if they could somehow make the playoffs, even as the second wild card team. It would be absolutely great, and it would be. But I, I still remember doing that opening day show, and if we were sitting there saying, "Hey, the Brewers would be still in the hunt for a wild card position, they would um, be guaranteed a winning season. They've already won eighty-two games." I, I think everybody would say, "Hey, th- this rebuild is a lot further around." And and the truth also is, you know, they're they're doing this in some cases, smoke and mirrors. You're arguably your best starting pitcher, you know, has injured himself. Um, so you're, you're down to really two starters and a bunch of people who are filling in. I just um, they they're an up and coming team, and I think that everybody should be excited for next season. All right, uh, Tom Barrett is going to be submitting his new budget as well. Earlier on in the show, we talked about how Chris Abley, and again this incredibly uh, you know incredible tone deafness. Despite the fact that he proposed a $60 wheel tax, this is Abley, for Milwaukee County last year, despite the fact that it went down to defeat 72 to 28 percent, he's back trying to push for the same wheel tax. Well, Barrett is out. Now, you will remember a little while ago, Tom Barrett said, hey, if, if, if I don't get a sales tax, and he's asking the legislature to give him the authority to implement a half-cent local sales tax that he says is going to raise $35 million per year. He said, if I don't have the money to do that, I'm going to have to cut 84 police officer positions and an extra um, 75 firefighter spots. Now, this would not all be people who currently have their jobs losing them. Um, Some of this would be just by the fact that you've got jobs that are vacant now that wouldn't be filled. But anyhow, he, he threatened to do away with 84 police officer positions. Well, the, the legislature doesn't appear inclined to give him um, the ability to ask for a half a cent sales tax increase. So his latest budget, he says Milwaukee is going to lose 33 police officer positions and 75 firefighter jobs. Under the budget plan that he's going to be introducing later this week, he also is going to be requesting a a maximum 3.7% property tax levy. He says, I've cut other departments, and so now what we have to do is we have to cut the police department. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I've gone on record as saying... I actually don't oppose allowing a referendum for voters in Milwaukee to decide if they're willing to pay a half-cent sales tax in order to help keep police jobs. I'm on record as saying that, but it doesn't look like that is going to happen. I will say this as clearly as I can. I think for any leader of an urban area like the city of Milwaukee, to be talking about either cutting or not filling police positions and firefighter positions, but particularly police positions, given what is going on on the mean streets of Milwaukee, I think it is the height of irresponsibility, and it's got to be a complete and total non-starter. How about getting rid of, as a starting point, 
How about getting rid of some of the mayor's aides? How about getting rid of, I don't know, some of the staff people for the aldermen? Now, I understand that doesn't get you to $35 million, but I'll bet you a million here, a million there. Pretty soon, you're starting to talk about big dough. Is it responsible to suggest that the city of Milwaukee eliminate and or not fill 33 police positions and 75 firefighter positions. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I have no doubt that, that the mayor, part of this is a strategy to try to, again, make things look as bad as they possibly can to try to put let pressure on the legislature to uh, allow him to increase taxes more than he already wants to do. And I don't, like I say, I don't oppose having a referendum if it's going to allow more cops. But until that happens, to suggest that you are going to eliminate almost three dozen police positions, I think is, what's the word I'm thinking of? Crazy. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I understand that the, the trolley, for example, doesn't take a lot of money from the city budget, but you want to talk about bad optics. We're committed to building a streetcar line throughout Milwaukee, and we we got to get rid of police officers. Huh. We discuss next. It's 1141. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1145. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So the mayor originally said, hey, if I don't get a sales tax increase, I'm going to get rid of 84 police officer positions. Now, in fairness, it's, it's, it's not necessarily just cutting existing jobs. It might be not failing to fill current vacancies, doing away with those. But he says he's going to cut 84. Well, in his budget that's coming out later this week, he says, well, never mind that. Um, but now if I don't get my sales tax, I'm going to get rid of 33 police officer positions and 75 firefighter jobs. Th- does the mayor not listen to the radio or watch TV or even pick up the local newspaper and look at his, what is going on in crime in the city of Milwaukee? And you're seriously talking about doing away with jobs? John in Milwaukee. John, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, good morning. You know, that's insane talk because on the department, when I started 15 years ago, there was 2,000 officers. Now we're 700 officers down due to retirement, people leaving. The city can't even keep up hiring people to, you know, commit to the level of service that the city of Milwaukee citizens deserve. That we're just extremely shorthanded. Every officer is overworked. Every officer is out there doing the best job that they can do. Mm-hmm. And officers are put in situations where it's a one-man squad when it should be a two-person squad in the dangerous areas of the city. Right. And it's just a matter of time before something tragic happened well you know john i remember the story a a couple weeks ago a a woman there's apparently a drive-by shooting outside her home bullets flying into the house one almost hits her either daughter or granddaughter is in her bedroom she calls 911 and 911 says well are the shooters still out there and she says no was anybody hit no well then it's four hours to get an office a squad there and i'm not faulting the police it's because they had other priorities but in the city of milwaukee you know other things are apparently more significant but it takes four hours after a drive-by shooting for somebody to respond to 911 911 that's just that's you would think that that would be unacceptable and concerning for the mayor 
that's totally unacceptable. And things like that happen every single day, only the public isn't aware of it. Right. And it's not a fa- it's not a criticism of the officers because everybody's working really hard, but it's just short staffed. And I mean, I I believe what the dispatcher said. It's like, okay, ma'am, if they're not out there shooting right now and nobody's hurt, we're just going to have to put you in in order. But we've got all this other stuff that's going on, and that's but that you you know citizens expect more when they pay taxes. Exactly, that's right. No, thanks for the call, John. I appreciate it. And that's again, he's a, he's a police officer, and that that's what the that's what the coppers that I tell you will 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 say. And you know, whenever I talk about this, again, it's not a criticism of the job that the police officers do. They are overwhelmed. They are overworked. There's not enough of them. This is something that has been allowed to happen over the years and the truth of the matter is it's it's getting worse and for the mayor to talk about cutting jobs like i say what i think you need to do as a starting point is all right make make the case um explain to me why you need as many people as work in the mayor's office i mean would you rather have a police officer or a mayoral aide who's pulling 80 grand a year why do we need all the assistance for the aldermen and things like that maybe we could cut some of those positions i used we used to have an accountant that worked here His name was vicious bill vicious bill i mean if you you wanted to if you wanted to really talk about finding you know the the fat in a budget you just turned Vicious Bill loose on the books of the city of Milwaukee. And my guess is he could find all sorts of jobs and positions that could be eliminated, scaled back, privatized, saving people money without having to do away with police officer positions. But, of course, again, this is that, that strategy. It's the Washington Monument strategy. The Federal Park Service wants more dough. So instead of laying off some middle, mid-level bureaucrat, you close the Washington Monument, you know, when the tourists are there because this gets the attention. If Barrett had come out and said, well, what we're going to have to do is I'm going to eliminate three people that work in my office and we're going to eliminate five people that work as aides for aldermen. I don't mean to pick on this, folks, but this is my, you get the point. Nobody would care. Oh, couple mayor's aides go all right who cares um gee we you know we'll we'll buy them a cake if they're going away party or gee the aldermen lose a couple aides nobody's going to care about that that's not going to get the story but you talk about eliminating 33 cops um that does bob in cedarburg bob you're on 620 wtmj good morning good morning jeff how are you today i'm well thank you what do you think good well, I agree with you definitely with the police positions. I agree with you that they should have allowed the citizens of Milwaukee to decide if they wanted a tax, if they want the police service, and they want to pay for it, then let them pay for it. I mean, but let the citizens have the choice. Don't let someone in Madison decide what happens down here. I, I, I would have gone ahead and let them have the referendum, too. Right? Exactly. If they want to spend now, money, let them spend money. Yep. Right, and I agree with you. There's always so much fat around the city in different departments. You know, you don't have to lay people off. You just don't fill positions. There's no doubt they cannot afford to get rid of the police. I do, however, think there's definitely, with mutual aid and shared services, there's definitely is probably some room in the Milwaukee Fire Department to probably start not filling positions and having smaller academy classes. You know, we got City of Greenfield and Tosa and North Shore coming into the city now. That's what mutual aid is for, is to 
help combine services, so we don't need as many. Well, you know, I think you, Ray, you know, and my understanding is what they're planning to do is they're planning to decommission five fire trucks. And so each fire truck is staffed by 15 people. So that's where the 75 comes from. And I guess I just don't know enough about that one way or the other to have an opinion. But, you know, you do raise, Bob, this larger question. And I know they're looking at this in some of the counties surrounding Milwaukee County, the whole idea of can we consolidate more? You know, you talk about the North Shore Fire Service. That's a classic example. Why, you know, Whitefish Bay and Fox Point and Glendale don't need their own fire services. You get them all together, and they provide a really good quality level of service. Can we start doing going to more of a regional sort of thing? And, Jeff, I agree. I think you could see something like that with Cudahy, St. Francis, South Milwaukee, all small departments. Do they all need their own fire department? Do they all need a ladder truck that costs almost a million dollars? Or could they have one fire chief, a right. couple assistant chiefs, and save a lot of money? It were, It's proven. It worked in the North Shore. Were there hiccups? Of course there were. There's some, you know, things to work through. But what a great way of combining these services using mutual aid. Mm-hmm. And we can save a lot of taxpayer monies. I have friends in the fire service, both city and municipalities around the area. It, it can work. There's well, no doubt. It and again, and I think that's the type of stuff that, that does need big picture to be on the table. I know, for example, Washington County and Ozaki County are exploring, and Dodge County are exploring, are there shared services that we can use? Are there things that we can do so we don't have to have three of the same, you know, essentially same things you know groups of people doing the the same thing can you do that without a significant drawback in service but i I guess bigger point 33 police officers i mean seriously get get real on on this and again i don't know if this is just all again for drama or how serious the mayor really is but i mean my advice would be just listen to the radio news on a daily basis and what you're going to hear is you have a huge crime problem in the state. Of course, the police department, I just saw a story today. Well, okay, car thefts are down 11%. Okay, they're down 11% from an unsustainably high rate. I mean, you know, it's just, does anybody think that crime is not out of control in the city of Milwaukee? Really? 